0: That's the second book of Timothy chapter 4. And again, this article that I read to you about this bio tattooing and the possibility of this vaccination being reported on your body as a mark or a tattoo can have a very biblical significance to it. Not saying that this is the, what it's going to be as spoken of in the book of Revelations. But it very well could lead to the fact that without it, right now we're being told we have to wear masks in certain places. So the next best thing to that would be if you're vaccinated, well, then you wouldn't have to wear your mask. But you would have to prove to someone that you've been vaccinated. And how would that happen? That would be the presentation of this invisible quantum tattoo that could be used to house all of your medical and monetary information. What a remarkable solution that would be to the world out there who says, oh, well, that's no big deal. Yeah, that's great. To those that don't care nor believe this Bible, which tells us, listen, like I told you before, we know the end of the book. We know what's going to happen. There is, you cannot stop it. I want you to understand that. Stop fighting that and just concentrate on your faith and you will find a greater peace and and purpose in what you're doing. Okay, I'm telling you as your pastor, you need to be getting as many people saved as you possibly can. Because the the end of days is coming. We are in the end of times. When Christ left this world, when he was crucified and, and, and left this world, the end of days began. But we are given certain qualifications and we are given certain prophecies of things that would take place as that definite time approached. And we are here. And the only thing left is the rapturing of the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, why is that such an important thing? The Bible says that we are not saved unto wrath. You will not experience the wrath of God if a child of God you are. That would make God a liar. Because He's not going to punish those in whom He said He forgets their sins as far as the East is from the West. And if there is no sin held against you, then why your punishment? That is not correct. The church is not saved unto wrath. If you are truly saved, you will not be here when the wrath of God begins to get poured out onto this thing. And that will happen after the church is raptured from this earth. That will begin. But all these things are signs of the times, folks. They're signs of things to come. Signs verifying your faith, verifying the Word of God, showing you the truthfulness of the Word of God. This should be perilous but yet exciting times for Christian people. This, when you look at what's going on, should excite your Christian soul within you. It should cause you to, like stepping out on, I don't know how many people in here have been swimming and jumped off a big old rock into a river. Or for those who live in the subdivisions, maybe you got on a a, uh, high dive at a local swimming pool. I've been on both. But it's like, you know, you know you can see the pool and you know you're going swimming and you can't wait. You think you're ready to get up there and jump off of that high dive and then you finally get out there and you go up there and you start walking and you get to the steps. You go, man, that thing's really high. And then you realize that when you get up there at the top of that thing and then there's this little bitty hand railing up there then everybody's looking and saying, boy, is that big old fat guy really going to jump off that thing? And they all start looking at you. Now, that wasn't me I was talking about, everybody. Quit looking at me like that. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, thank you. But I remember when I was on that high dive and I was walking out there and I thought, boy, this thing's getting really springy out here near the end of this thing. And so finally, I just got up the courage and I just leapt. But let me tell you, coming to the end of it, it took a little guts to realize that, man, I'm really here. And i got to do this thing. And that's kind of where we're at right now in this whole Christian living thing of the, the past 2,000 years. We're at the time that Paul speaks of. And it's an exciting time to be a Christian. Now, it's not so exciting if you don't know Jesus Christ and who He really is. But if you're truly saved and you've been born again, you should be ready. You should be ready to go. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is what Paul says. Man, chapter 4 4 is full of some really good stuff. But I'm going to start down at verse 6 and it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Listen to this. He said, I have fought not a good fight. Now I want you to realize what that says right there. He didn't say he fought a good fight. A lot of people says, man, I fought a good fight. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul said, I fought the, the good fight. Now that changes the whole dynamic of that statement. That means that, A good fight could be whatever you think a good fight is. But no, the good fight is a particular thing. It's the good fight. So Paul says that he fought the good fight. That he had finished the race. And he says, I have kept the faith. He made those three statements. Many, many times we read over that verse of scripture right there and we we think fought a good fight. Well, there's people that fight a good fight and all kinds of things. There's there's cancer survivors that fought a good fight. They were strong. They were determined. Okay. And they they made it through and and they they, they didn't give up. That's all true. But the good fight is a little bit different. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But Paul right here, and I'm just going to keep trucking. So, when we read through this, Paul was at the end of his days. And he was imprisoned here and pinned this to Timothy. And like a father talking to his son, Paul was giving Timothy these kind of final instructions for a time that he would not be there to help him in. And what had overshadowed, uh, overshadowed this entire epistle is now pretty much explicitly being stated that Paul was about to die. And you know, you kind of get the point of that as you're reading through this whole thing. You know, when, when in, in chapter 4, the very first part, you know, let me just read some of this word to you because it's so good. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word. My goodness, that's the only thing that's going to get people saved. Is the Word being preached? Preach the Word, man. He says. Be ready in season and out of season. It's almost like he's he's giving him these instructions that he's not going to be able to follow through in making sure that he does. He says, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now listen to me. This is speaking to the church. The world already doesn't doesn't like sound doctrine. Okay, So this isn't a, a, a part to the world. This is to the church. That the church is going to become a wayward body. That it's going to be a group of people who started off good. Satan gets involved and jacks their world up. And starts giving them stinking thinking. And wrong ways of interpreting the word. But he tells him. To be ready for this. In season and out of season. Convincing people. Using the word to show people. Show people what? That they, the, the, the bottom line message is that you need to be saved. And that Jesus Christ is the The Lord. The only begotten of the Son and the only way to God, and you have to believe in Him and turn your life over to Him. Convince people of this. Rebuke people who teach other things. Rebuke people who live contrary to their profession of faith. Rebuke people who think they're teaching something right, but they are not. Exhort. Bring forth the Word. Teach it. Show it. Show people what it means. He says, with all long-suffering and teaching, don't be a jerk who takes the Bible and pounds somebody's head with it, but with gentleness and kindness and with long-suffering, giving people ample chances to repent and turn their lives over to Jesus Christ and to start a new give people an opportunity through loving kindness to turn away from what they think is true but is not. Now, the world is already messed up. And you can take all these cults out there, and I'm telling you, they're in a false way. And it's going to be difficult to show them the truth of, of something that they're already totally indoctrinated in. But Paul is speaking to the church of Jesus Christ to keep them straight. Why was it so important that this message was preached this particular part of chapter 4? It's because Paul did not want the purity of the gospel to be tainted, nor the message that has the power to convert to be messed up. Because it can cause people to to go through what they're going through right now and having a false sense of security, thinking that they are saved but they are not, misunderstanding the doctrines that has been taught to us by Jesus Christ, missing the point, and now you have churches ordaining homosexuals and lesbians and all kinds of crazy things going on out there. And endorsing all kinds of of bad behavior and illicit lifestyles because they have been led astray and they've not been taught the truth nor do they teach the truth because the message of Jesus Christ has been left open to man's interpretation. And that is not yours to interpret. It's been interpreted for us already in the Word of God. There is one way. He's the truth, the life, and the way. And there's no other way to the Father except through Him. And that is the pure gospel, unadulterated message that Jesus Christ gave to us. It's one that people don't like, so they think they can change it to fit their lifestyles, and they cannot do that. 2 Timothy is full of last-minute instructions And Paul was particularly interested in Timothy keeping the faith and using his gifts that God gave him. But listen, especially preaching the word. To keep steady in the word, even though times would become more increasingly dangerous and difficult, as man, as he puts in the word, turns to fables, his own desires, and eventually their ears turn away from hearing the truth. That's what Paul says. He says right here for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Truth will not be something. And this is so ironic. This is so this is so unbelievable, but Paul was telling Timothy something so incredible that it was probably hard for Timothy to believe it that you would go to a church service and people would not desire to hear the truth. What sense does that make? That you would really want to go to to a church and truth is not welcome. Now how about that? But he said there's coming a day and there's coming a type of people where that will exactly be the case. They're going to get offended if you preach the truth. They should be offended at the lie that they've been taught and believed. But they're so offended at the truth they don't understand how much of the lie they've become a part of. You know, they are I think that most people might believe that they may have an opportunity for last words like Paul is speaking here. But that just might not be the case for you. So we have to let how we're going to live right now be the light of God that shows every human being Jesus Christ inside of you. You may not have an opportunity for last words. Listen to what he said. First of all, Paul says, I'm poured out. Now, like a drink offering, he says. The drink offering ceremony is this. And I'll sum it up, but it's found in the the book of Numbers. But the drink offering was the last thing to be poured on the sacrifice of the dead lamb." So what Paul was saying is I have reached the end and my life, I have lived as a sacrifice and I'm about to die and I'm poured out like the drink offering. The last part of my sacrifice is here. In the book of Numbers 28, 4 through 8, it says, prepare one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight together with a grain offering of a tenth of an eph- ephah, ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of hen of oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. The drink offering, it says, the accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen, a fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary, it says. Prepare the second lamb at twilight, along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you prepare in the morning. This is an offering made by fire. So, the very last thing that you do is pour the drink offering on the burnt sacrifice. It is the final step of a sacrificial ceremony. Paul said what he's telling all of us and what he wanted Timothy to do is to live your life as a sacrifice to the Lord. To not just please yourself, but to be pleasing to God. That the things that you might want to do is not as important as the things that God wants you to do. And so Paul says the very first thing he says in these three characteristics that he lays out right here is he says I am poured out like a drink offering. I'm at the end of my ceremonial life I've given to Jesus Christ. I've did it. I'm at the end. Everything that I've done, I've done for the Lord. It's a Levitical system Of a sacrificial ceremony. He's saying. I've reached my end. Of my time. Of living for Jesus Christ. And the furtherance of the gospel. And getting people saved. And protecting the church. And the message. The pureness of the message. How about you? At the end of your days. Are you going to be able to say, if we are at the end of days right now, perhaps we are at the rapturing of the church. Will you be able to look and stand and be content within yourself that your life has been lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is how we are supposed to live that we don't just come to church and live church here at church, but you go home and you live the same as your testimony here at church says you you live. You go out and you try to get people saved. You promote the Word of God. You, you promote Jesus Christ in everything you do. Can we say that about ourselves? He said, I'm poured out. He said, I fought the good fight. Okay. Not the evil fight, but the good fight. He didn't do it in a way that pleased himself. He fought the fight in the way that the scripture says to to fight the fight. In the exact way that he told Timothy to do it. You say, well, what is the good fight? Well, it's to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. It's to live a life that says, God, you first, me second. You ever heard some of these sports authorities and they came out and they said, I am second. What does that mean? That means you're not first. You have, you've heard of the, the, of, the, of, the, of the adage of the old Number one. Pleasing the old number one. Well, if you look further in these scriptures in the books of Timothy here, it talks about people would love themselves. And they would be lovers of pleasures more than God. In other words, they're all about the old number one themselves. And a person that's so full of themselves, so narcissistic in this way, they could never be pleasing to God because God's always on the back burner. He said, I'm poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Listen, he didn't say that he won the race. It's a very important point. He said, I finished it. If you talk to these people and you've read these stories before of these, these people running these great big marathons and et etc., cetera, et cetera, in the Cherokee Nation, they have a, uh, a, a yearly Remembering the Trail of Tears bike ride, which happened back in the 1830s. And what they do is they, the Western Nation, comes over here and meets at the O'Connell Lofta Village in North Carolina, along with some other people and others who might want to participate. Of the Eastern Band and people of Cherokee heritage. And they ride bicycles that follow the Trail of Tears over 700 miles on bike. And they're younger people, older people, and they want to do what their ancestors did. And they want to walk in their footsteps. And you can see them and I've watched them, you know, from the beginning of their, when they're getting ready and they're training and they're getting ready for, this is a big bike ride, right? And they come over here and they meet and they take one of the trails or three trails. There's a northern trail, a, a central trail and a southern trail. And they'll take one of the trails and they'll get on it and they'll ride it. And they usually typically take the northern one that goes up through Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And when they get on that race, you'll see them throughout the race. And they go and they, they see the wall where their ancestors was at. And you can see the names of the people who walked that trail. Most of them anyway. Not all are listed on that, but most. And they'll know their ancestor did that. And it's not important to them who crosses the finish line first. It's the fact that they can do it. And by the time they get from the beginning of that, and the the trail of tears is what the white man called it, but it's actually referred to as the trail that made me cry. And the old ones, as they walked west, away from the mountains, their mountainous homes, they would look back at the mountains and cry, saying goodbye to their home, to their loved ones buried. To their families and people that were split up. And they rode this whole way, and by the time they get to the finish line, they usually dump the bike over and are sobbing in tears because they finished it. You've got to finish the race. We're not looking to who's going to be first. But the fact that you have to concentrate on is exactly what Paul said. You've got to finish. You can't start and quit. But your finish line has to be crossed the finish line of God, not your determined finish line. Finally, he said, He kept the faith nearing the end of his life, Paul could confidently say that he had been faithful to his call. And so he faced death calmly. How about you? Can you face death calmly? Knowing that you did everything you were supposed to do? Or do you think there's some undone business That God has you to do that you've not done. Or can you see the failures and the shortcomings. And the things that you should do but you don't. Or can you be like Paul and say you know what I've done it. Paul was just like Jesus. What did Jesus church say. What did he say on the cross. It is what. He said it's finished. He completed the mission. Funny how when you are in love with God and Jesus Christ, you know when the beginning and the end is for what you're supposed to be doing. Do you feel as if you've done exactly what God wants you to do? He said, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Does the appearing of Jesus Christ scare you to death? When I started preaching this morning and I read to you this very article of this bio tattoo, this mark, if you will, that they, will, that they are researching putting in human beings. Does that terrify you? Does the thought of the last days being at your doorstep. Send chills up and down your spine. It shouldn't. Because greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. And there is a promise given to you that the world does not have. That God will rescue us before this time comes. That there is a time coming that you just have to be ready. I heard somebody put it yesterday like this. There's two teams. A winning team and a losing team. There's a good team and an evil team and you're on one of them. I've said that before. There's no riding the fence here. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There's no in between. If you're a child of God, the light of God lives within you and the confidence of Christ and assurance is yours in your heart. But if you're not, and you're not ready, then you need to make the decision to be that today. Everybody stand with me.